great worship, new people, everybody's excited. <laughs> Let's honor the Word of God as we strive to do in our life. We must honor it. Hold it in high esteem, for He has put His, net, His Word above all things. So we're in a series on evangelism, and we're going to read a theme scripture, which was our main text last week. And then we'll jump into our main text. Let's learn something new from the Word of God. Just a quick recap from last week. Paul, uh, difficult ministry in Corinth. He didn't know if it was going to go so well. God brought great news from other people. God used other people from the coming of Ty, uh, Silas and Timothy to him. And uh, some, a few people got saved. The church that size was between 40 and 100 people. That's how big the church was. It's more than 40 people here. And, and, and uh, so he's, he's deciding what he's going to do and what God wants him to do. And God speaks to him in the night of a vision. This is Acts 18. And let's, it's up on your screens right there. Acts 18, 9 and 10. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid. You're not going to live your life in fear. Fear will not be the deciding factors of your life. Right? We all are going to make decisions based on deciding factors. Don't let fear control your life, but speak and do not keep silent. Because I got some promises for you, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. So this series on evangelism and the key phrase is speak and do not keep silent. Speak and do not Keep silent. Just want those words of Christ. That's in the red. Those words of Christ to ring in your ears. The reason I want them to ring in your ears is because they ring in mine. I told y'all last week that, you know, it was kind of a long study day. Like a Wednesday didn't go so well. I'm working on it on Thursday. Like 12 hours of reading, and it's usually not quite that long, of looking at and reading, speak and do not be silent. I'm just like, speak and do not be silent. Speak and do not be silent. The guy's cleaning the windows in the church. Guess who's talking to him about Jesus? I am. Now, I know the guy. Remember, I tell you, it wasn't the first conversation. But when 12 hours of speak and do not keep silent, speak and do not keep silent, ring in your ears, something starts to, you start to move. You're alive. It, it just moves you. So that's where we are in this series on evangelism. So let's go to our main text. It's John chapter 3, the Gospel of John chapter 3. Turn, swipe, open the app, whatever you want to do. Now to intro John chapter 3, Jesus and his nighttime conversation with Nicodemus, I want to read to you, and it's actually on your notes, one of the great preachers of, of Christendom. <laughs> He's called the Prince of Preachers. His name is Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon. Look him up. He looks like a young Santa. A young, happy Santa. And um, this is what he said about what we are about to read. So I'm trying to give you like, hey, man, why are we going to really look at this? This is what he said. If we were asked to read to a dying man who did not know the gospel, we should probably select this chapter. That's the one we're about to read. As the most suitable one for such an occasion. And what is good for dying men is good for us all. For that is what we are, not spiritually, but physically. 
if we know Jesus, not spiritually. And how soon we may be actually at the gates of death, none of us can tell. He says, you want to know about evangelism? You want to know how to speak to people? Read John chapter 3. Study John chapter 3. So that's what we're going to do. All right. You're right there in John 3, 1 through 8. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, teacher, we know, even though he's by himself, he says we. He's representing more than just himself. We know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, Old King James, have to ex exact, he said, the King James is, um, I can't remember the King James. <laughs> Most assuredly, maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> I'm joking. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone. There's this mysterious, glorious salvation that's almost hard to explain sometimes when you're transferred from darkness to light in an instant by the power of God. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit or born again by the blood of Christ. All right, well, let's jump into this. You've got notes right there. Let's look. Verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night. Now, I don't know if you've really taken a good look at the calendar of Jesus, but it was busy. You think you got a busy calendar. Jesus ran high octane. Now, I will tell you, Jesus had a three-year ministry and died at 33. Don't run that high of an octane. <laughs> if you're going to last three years and be single and without kids, fine. But that's it. <laughs> you can't run on that. But this man came to Jesus after a long work day. He was probably tired. In fact, he, may, he was an early riser. He may have been asleep already for all we know. That's not expressly the text, but I mean, he's up before dark, the Bible says, all the time, as was his custom. He gets up, beats Peter and all those snores up, probably because he couldn't sleep anyways, and, uh, and headed out to pray. At night, not on the calendar, it wasn't penciled in, it wasn't planned for all of us planners and hate all the changes in last minute and when things just get blown up, we're not as flexible. That's what happened. That's this situation. The greatest picture and the longest one-on-one -on -one conversation in the Bible about the kingdom of God, it wasn't planned. But Jesus took him in. But Jesus is going to spend a lot of time with someone who, don't have, who doesn't understand. He's confused. So this today is going to be Jesus teaching us on evangelism. Let's learn some things from Jesus on evangelism, right? We can learn it from Jesus. Number one in your notes. Jesus took personal responsibility. 
Yes, he did. At night, tired, unshaven. Yeah, he had a beard. Probably. This man came to him with a heavy load. There's a lot of questions, and he's representing a big group. He's a Pharisee. He's a ruler of the synagogue. He's a leader. His name is, is Greek. It's not, it's not a Jewish name, so it seems like he, he's Jewish because he's a Pharisee, but he's got a lot of pull in the area. He's a leader not just of the synagogue, but outside of that, beyond that. He seems to have a lot of pull both ways. He says, we know because he's coming as a representative. Now, when I grew up all my life, I heard that he was scared of everyone else, and that's why he came at night to talk to Jesus one-on-one. That may be, but it is also a very practical, calculated move by a leader who needs one-on-one, uninterrupted time with Jesus. His motives may be much purer than we think. And we need to kind of see, our, see that in his life. And we need to see that with people we're talking about. Jesus gives him, talking to about Jesus. Lots of latitudes here. One-on-one focus time when he's tired. That is not a good time. I don't even know if I can pray right at night with the kids. I'm like, just go to bed. I want to go to sleep. But Jesus takes personal responsibility. You know, I've decided in life, I realize, you know what successful ministry is? You know what doing something for Jesus is? It's not spiritual. It's just saying, I will take personal responsibility for this. If my neighbors don't know Jesus, I can't save a lost soul, but I can proclaim the gospel in love, in every way I can, in everything I can do. If i got to cut their grass, I'll cut their grass, whatever I have to do. I'm going to take personal responsibility. That's what it's about. It's not about all these abilities or everything else. It's saying, this is it. i got to do this. I'm culpable if I don't say something, if I don't step in and proclaim Jesus. It's a beautiful picture of that. Someone in the Bible that exudes this is found in Isaiah 6. Let's look at this, Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6, 8 and 9. The prophet Isaiah is going to have an angelic and triune God vision, encounter God in a powerful way. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Oh, woe is me. I've just seen the holy God. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I have no business being here. Why am I even here? The seraphim takes the coal, touches his lips. He says, now you're clean. Now watch this. Up to this point, God has not spoken. Verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, it's the first thing the Lord said, Who shall I send and who will go for us? Language of the Trinity, obviously. That's a famous scripture, right? It's a famous in, in Isaiah. Whom shall I go and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, I will take personal responsibility. Send me. Here I am. Send me. As soon as he says, I may not be the smartest, I may not be the best, whatever, but I'm going to take personal responsibility. I'm going to take it. Then the very next words are the direction of God for his life. 
the direction of God, and he said, go and tell his people. Personal responsibility. This is amazingly and why I chose him. Isaiah is called the Prince of Prophets. There's a couple reasons why. He has the longest prophetic ministry of anyone in the Bible, over 50 years. Secondly, he has the, uh, the highest influence over that 50-year reign, at least five kings of Israel, including countries that were not his. He was an international prophet, <laughs> if there's such a thing. All of that responsibility, all, excuse me, all of that authority, all of that power, all of that influence came from right here, from the God encounter and him saying, I step up. What do you want me to do, God? I don't, he didn't even know what it was. He had no clue. Here I am, send me. Your orders, I don't care. As long as I'm living for you. As long as I'm obeying you. I like that. Jesus took personal responsibility. Well, let's go back to John. So the man comes in at night. We know you're a ruler of the synagogue. We know you're a rabbi. You see this admiration for him they're having, but not sure who he is? Verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, absolutely, it's an emphatic statement, I say to you, ruler of the synagogue, religious leader, professional religious teacher, I say to you, unless one is born again, or unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, if he had said, unless a Gentile is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, the Pharisee would have said, oh, yeah, okay. He didn't say that. He pulled Nicodemus into all of lost humanity and said, unless someone is born again, I don't care who they are, their creed, their credentials, young, old, rich, poor, black, white, unless someone's born again, they're not going to see the kingdom of God. Number two in your notes. Jesus knew attraction for him was not salvation. The man's got some desire to know Jesus. Obviously, when I'm talking about attraction, I got to clarify in 2018. I'm talking about looking for truth. <laughs> clarify in 2018. Every, this is where we are in our culture. This is exactly where we are in America and, and in the world. Everybody likes Jesus. Everyone loves Jesus. They all have a level of attraction for him. Oh, I love the love of God. Oh, I, I love the way he gives. I love the way he served, right? There's, no one has bad things to say about Jesus. We as Christ followers who know him, who have been dead in our sins and trespasses and made alive through Jesus Christ, must bring people in love, in clarity, in truth to the, to the point where we say attraction is not salvation. Everybody is attracted to Jesus. The Muslims want Jesus. The Muslims say he was a great prophet. They want a piece of Jesus. That's not salvation. 
Christ alone crucified, you coming under the blood of Jesus, throwing yourself at the cross, knowing that we're sinners, broken, we have no, no goodness in us. No, nothing that is holy and righteous. No reason to heaven. No reason why God needs us, except he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Why would he save me? Oh, the overwhelming love of God. And it comes to the point where I throw myself down and say, Oh, God, my God, my Savior and Lord. Right? We, everyone's going to talk good about Jesus. This is the hard part of evangelism. Right? If I go up to some Joe on the street here and I say, hey, tell me about Jesus, they're going to say good things. We are bringing them past attraction. Past, that's nice. Yeah, I do like that flavor of ice cream. Right? So Jesus knew attraction or appreciation or an admiration for him, whatever word you like, is not salvation. Christians, we must go beyond political correctness. I'll just use a popular term in this culture. If we really care about people, if we know they are lost in their sins and trespasses, proclaim his gospel. Bring them, paint them in a corner in love. Do it through relationship. Do it through acts of service. But we have got to stop saying nothing, knowing all people around us are totally lost. It's our responsibility to proclaim. He saves all right. Oh, that's heavy. Okay. I'm just, I'm just on my second point. Let's relax it. Okay. Let's relax it. If you turn one page over John 2, 23, who are these we and all these groups of people? There was lots of followers of Jesus that were attracted to him that, that didn't know he was savior, that didn't say Messiah, that didn't say there's the savior of the world. John 2, 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem, at the Passover, big, huge party time. It's one of the biggest events. Jerusalem's three times the size. People from all over. All the religious leaders are all in their three-piece suits. During the feast, many believed in his name. They believed Jesus when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. He knew this natural attraction. He knew they would, oh, maybe this is, or, but there's this lack of surrender, this lack of your Savior, your God and your Lord. You know why Jesus was so gracious with the knucklehead Peter? When he'd put his foot in his mouth, when he'd mess up, and he would over-talk, and he would extend himself too far, and he would say bad things, even where Jesus said, get me behind me, Satan. You know why Jesus was so, so gracious on Peter and so hard on the Pharisees? Because with all the knucklehead, roughneck style Peter was, he stood up and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right? You see, that's why Jesus is deal with all the other things. Because Peter said, you're the only Savior of the world. I got nothing if I, got, if I don't have you. And that's where we need to be. In love. We're defenders of the truth. We proclaim it in love. But we have got to get to the place where, uh, where we know that attraction is not salvation. Carnivals have attraction. That's what carnivals have. I got those funnel cakes. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, that's that stuff like drugs. I'm just, what is that? Fun? Okay. <laughs> It was, all cartoon, it was all cartoons, they just, you know, you follow them around. Like the cartoon, the, the smell makes you float to it. Carnals have lights. Oh, they have lots of attractions. They actually usually don't have love. You, you, don't, you don't get next to the guy operating the Ferris wheel and just feel an overwhelming love. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's a, I'm perpetuating a horrible stereotype. You don't feel that. Lots of attractions. And when people get close to us, when they got close to Jesus, they need to know that he's put his love inside of us. And that what we're giving them is not attraction. It's not some light or smoke or mirrors. It is the love of God that has been poured into our hearts, our sinful hearts that keep us and hold us and the, by the Holy Spirit like today. And we just feel the presence of God and he's just so faithful with us. Oh, that's what they need. Right? That's what they need. I was studying this. Sometimes my, my mind wanders in bad directions. It's PG. Don't worry about it. If it wasn't, I wouldn't say it. So I'm studying this. I'm like, ah, you know what the first thing that came to my mind was? I had like a seven-year-old episode. The Wizard of Oz came to my mind. Please, this is just an illustration. It's not the Bible. Just illustration. I was thinking, what was it? that got the scarecrow, the lion, and the tin man to follow a lost teenager from Kansas. <laughs> a lost teenager in bling-bling shoes. I, why? Why? Because of the promise of going to see the wizard, please, and again, it's just an illustration. No, that's not what it was. They had no clue about that guy in the Emerald City or whatever. That's not what it was. She loved those people. She got to that goofy scarecrow. Oh, did she make fun of them for saying something stupid, for being dumb, for saying a scripture wrong? Did she? No. Come here, scarecrow. I'm going to help you down. In fact, the scarecrow couldn't walk. And she helped him to learn to walk. Remember? That's what came to my mind. I don't know if it was the Lord or not. It was probably, I had a bunch of sisters and they made me watch Wizard of Oz way too much. In Technicolor. And she gets to the lion. Totally different situation. But her reaction. She gets to the lion. It's not, it's not a goofy scarecrow. It's a lion. Put him up. Put him up. She disarms him with love. Oh, she pops him once because she thought he was going to hurt his dog. That's just what happens with people's pets, like, like kids. But she goes, oh, I'm so sorry. Remember when he cowered? I'm so sorry. I didn't know. She just loved, loved them. And he just, he melted. It wasn't attractive. She didn't have the knowledge. She was a teenager. No one's following a teenager with shoes like that. Come on. I don't care if you can dance or sing. It was this this true, genuine love. She gets to the oil man, and she does a practical love thing. Oh, thank you so much. Oil. Oh, now I can move. And I was thinking about those three things, and I thought, then I had to do history study. Why was this like this? So I went back, and that book was written in 1900. It was adapted. Yeah, it's old. <laughs> See, you should feel young now. It was adapted as a movie in 1939 at the end of the Great Depression. 
a horrible time in history, right before, and we're getting ready to go into World War II. We got a horrible economic situation. We got soup lines in America, and there's brink of war. And Hitler, this demonic Satan figure, is rising in world power. And the writer picks and finds a pure hearted Kansas teenager who will love and treat people kindness in the heart of America, right? Is that still the heartland of America? It's still called that, isn't it, Kansas? Right there. Not someone from Hollywood, not someone from New York City. What are they looking for? What are are they trying to say? Because art imitates life and life imitates art. What are they trying to say? They're looking for someone who isn't those things. They're looking for pure-hearted love. They're not looking for Hollywood or attraction. They're, the character that you are endeared to, this is one of the most famous movies of all time. Some people say that, you know, the greatest ever made. They're, they're just longing for this in their heart. I thought, oh, that's, that's why that. It just struck a chord in the, in, the, in the human heart. That's why that movie did that. and It was such a huge hit. That's what it was. Yes, originally, everything back then. So this is what we understand. Jesus' new attraction was not salvation. He understood where Nicodemus was and he brought him straight to, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Oh, we got to get going here. All right, verse 5. So it just throws Nicodemus for, the, for a loop. This is why. Smart, educated, ruler, leader, get it done guy. And Jesus gives him a question and says, you can't do this. Unless one is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, that's impossible. What, am I supposed to enter another time into my mother's womb? Can't do that. I wasn't born yesterday. I've been doing leadership for a long time. I'm an educated guy. You can't do that. Exactly. Exactly. Judaism will not bring you eternal salvation. Right here, I'm eternal salvation. I'm eternal salvation. Now those that died in faith, they were waiting on Jesus. Abraham saved. He was waiting on Jesus from the beginning. From the, from, for thousands of years. He was glad to see my day, as, he, as Jesus quotes Abraham. So then Jesus in verse 5 goes right back, right back. The guy says this impossible. Jesus almost repeats the same thing again. Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, by the Spirit of God, by heaven, that God comes down and changes your broken heart, that God comes down and here I am and changes you, one cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me tell you what Jesus was doing. Number three on your notes. Jesus stayed focused on the right topic. Jesus stayed focused on the right topic, didn't he? See, this is what happens in evangelism. We hit a wall and we say, okay, I'll just change directions, <laughs> right? I, have anyone ever had a bad Jesus conversation with someone? If you have not, you have not had enough Jesus conversations. I have a wonderful wife and I've had a bad conversation with her. 
Well, I don't know, babe. What does that say? I don't know what that book, Revelations, means there. What happens is we're talking about Jesus and someone gives us a crossway look. What? Oh, I don't understand. Or why? Or question we can answer. That's okay. You never stop adding two plus two because you can't do advanced trigonometry. Trigonometry, right? You talk about Jesus. You talk about what you know. You talk about your salvation. You talk about your testimony. Jesus goes right back to him. Unless you're born again. Unless you've been born of heaven. Unless you come under the blood of Jesus. That's coming. He doesn't say that there. Unless you've been born again, you're not coming to the kingdom of God. No matter what your pedigree or background is. It just speaks of the universe, the, the universality of Christianity and of Christ. And the only way of salvation is him. Jesus was emphatic that he's the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except by him. Emphatic about it. In love. But look at him. He, he's, he's a dog on a bone right here on Nicodemus. Jesus always forked the road. There's a lot... You know, I was thinking about Jesus' fork in the road. I was like, is this the theme of the, all the New Testament? Well, of course, the New Testament writers followed Jesus. Listen to this. First Peter speak, speaks of being born anew by God's great mercy. First Peter, that's 1 3. 1 he speaks of being born anew from imperishable seed. James speaks of, being, of God bringing forth. But being brought forth by the word of truth. Titus speaks to us of the washing of regeneration. That means to be reborn or redone. redone. Romans speaks us of dying with Jesus and being raised to new life. 1 Corinthians speaks of new believers as newborn babes. That's twice in 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians speaks of us as being new creations in Christ Jesus. Galatians says that in Jesus we are a new creation. Ephesians says that a new man was created after God in righteousness. Hebrews says that at the beginning of our Christian life we are like newborn children. Do you hear every New Testament writer talking just like Jesus did? Unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. I mean, they're just forking the road. I mean, Jude writes a page and a half and he gets it in there. Come on, a page and a half. I've seen Facebook posts longer than that. All right, come on now, keep it still somewhere. Let's keep going here. Okay, I got off, didn't I? Ah, you're so nice. I said four, Jesus forked the road. No, no, I got right. Verse three, number three. Jesus stayed focused on the right topic. Got it? Number three? I said that. Number four. Jesus always forked the road. Did I say that? All right. So I didn't get off. Then why did I all say yes? <laughs> Look, don't be yes people. All right. <laughs> Serve the Lord. Know the word. Now I'm going to get all kind of every time I say something wrong. So number three. Jesus stayed focused on the right topic. Most assuredly. He said, you must be born again. He forked the road, number four. Jesus always forked the road. Let's bring this thing home. Verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tear, tell where it comes from and where it goes. That's like, wait a minute, that sounds unclear. 
wait, I'm, I'm not sure about my salvation. No, that's not what it's saying. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit, born of God, or born from above. It is actually another emphatic. Spirit of God is on the inside of you, or it's not. You have been touched by the saving grace of Jesus Christ or not. You don't have an attraction for him, an affinity for him, a like of him. He is yours and you are his eternally. He is your child. You have been pulled out of darkness into his wonderful light. It is an emphatic, so is everyone who's born of the Spirit. It's yes or it's no. It's the way Jesus talked. That's the way I'm going to talk. In love, that's the way you have to talk. If we do not, we are living contrary to the word of God. I don't want to do that. I know you don't want to do that. Ask God for boldness. Pray for mercy. Pray for humility. But we must draw a line in the sand and say, this is the way I'm going to talk. Number five, Jesus guaranteed a new birth in him. It's an emphatic guarantee. We must talk to people like this. We must deal with people like this. Last scripture, Ephesians 1. Oh, I love this. Love this scripture. Ephesians 1.13. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth doesn't say a sermon. Maybe. Praise God. I believe in the preaching of the word of God. It says the word of truth. The Bible says he makes truth come out of the mouth of bathed in sucklings, right? He can ordain praise from children. After you heard the truth, I mean the spirit of God came in. You're like, oh, I'm, that's it. I'm done. I'm done. My life is yours. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation... In whom also, having believed, you were sealed. Say sealed. sealed. Oh, I like that. That's a complete, that is a uh, galvanized, unmoving. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the guarantee? Say guarantee. Oh, I like that. I need a, I need a Boudreaux right here. I guarantee. That's, that. That's what I need. I guarantee of our inheritance un, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. You've been bought with a price, and I have too. And you're His or you're not. This is what the world has to know. Are you His? Have you been bought with a price? Do you have the seal of the Holy Spirit? Do you have the seal of the Holy Spirit knowing that He says, I'm yours and you are mine. In the worst situations, in the hard times in life, you get on your knees and say, God, and he says, you are mine. I'm with you. And if you got saved at six, praise God, or 16 or 60, it's just as powerful. When you get on your knees and say, God, he says, you are mine. Have you been sealed? Do you have the guarantee of new birth in him? Or get that scripture deep in you because he owns you. And let me tell you, the redemption of the purchased possession. He's coming back for you, or you'll go to him, whichever happens first. Let's stand up. I'm done.
A few minutes with Jesus. Come on. Oh, let's just spend a few minutes in that, in that dark room that night with him and Nicodemus. That candlelight, him talking and bringing Nicodemus to a fork in the road. Him, him going straight to the heart of Nicodemus, right, right to him and talking to him about the new birth. Talking to him about eternal salvation. I want to talk the way Jesus talks. I have made it no secret that I have never felt like a natural evangelist. I'm telling you, God's working in me. I am going to keep going forward until... Because I know, let me say this right, because I know God is with me and he's going to use me. And not because I'm a pastor, because I'm a Christian. And I'm going to see one-on-one salvations like this. I'm going to tell you, this pulpit's easier for me. I can preach the gospel, and I've done this many times. Remember, I did missions for seven years. I did on five continents. Give an altar call in one or ten. I've had hundreds come forward. I don't know if it was all true salvations, but that's just the story. I have struggled like this. This has been hard. I said, Lord, come on. I want to be complete in you. I lack no good thing if I'm his. I want to better do this. Come on, let's come to Jesus. Talk to him. Let him bring people to your mind. Ask him for a knock on your door late at night. Tell him your heart's open to a difficult time. Maybe that's half the battle right there. He's not going to bring people if we're going to be, we're not going to be able to deal with them. He's not going to bring those younger siblings if we're frustrated with them or that neighbor or whoever. Come on, open up your heart. Say, Lord, I'm yours. Anytime, any place, God, bring people. I want to hear that on my door. I don't care if it's five in the morning or 10 at night. But whatever it takes, I want to be an effective evangelist for you. I want to be effective at proclaiming what you've done in my heart and what you, your salvation is in this world. Just one more minute. going to do a group altar call. You stay where you are, but I think we all need this. I don't think anyone's exempt here. If you're, a, if you're a Christian, but before we can pray this group prayer together with all heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're in this room and say, I don't know Jesus, I've never been reborn. This is your time. You're sitting with Jesus, listening like Nicodemus did. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, real quick, if you don't know Him, you can know Him. You know Him by faith. You know Him by the blood of Jesus. You know Him by confessing your sins and throwing yourself at the cross. And He loves you and He died for you and He'll accept you. If you've never given your life to Jesus, is there anyone like that? Raise your hand. 
Let's all pray together. Come on, let's all come together. We're all going to pray. We're all going to ask the Lord for the ability to speak one-on-one. One-on-one. Clearly. In love. In conviction. This is our altar call. We're all asking Jesus to make us evangelists. Not like Paul. Paul was great, but not like Paul. Not like Peter. Peter was great. The, the women, the, the lots of women in the New Testament, not like them. Those are good. We can learn things. But no, like Jesus. Because we need His heart. We need His heart of love. We need His heart for people. We need His heart to love Nicodemus. So we're going to ask Jesus to make us effective evangelists. Let's pray. Oh God, we all just come before you right now. We need your heart for the lost. We need your heart for the Nicodemuses, for the ones who don't understand, for the ones who are confused, for the ones who, when we say it the first time, don't get it, for the ones who have all of these abilities, but they don't have you. They have maybe an attraction or an affinity, but they don't know you as Savior. God, we're asking right now, and you said if we ask, we're going to receive. So we ask you right now. Lift your hands if you want to. We ask you right now, God. We want to be able to proclaim your name in truth. We say, here we are. Send us. Here we are. Send us. We take personal responsibility. It's not our Savior's responsibility to reach this. Our Savior's the church. It's not their responsibility to reach this town because it's the biggest church in town. It's our responsibility. We're your people. We're your Christians. We have your word in us. We have your spirit. It's our responsibility, and we take it, Lord, joyfully, wonderfully, desiring above all your kingdom to come here in Acadiana. We receive it fully, completely, God. We'll have no lack for evangelism, no lack for doors knocking at our house if we want your kingdom above all. And that is our prayer. We thank you for it, God. We praise you for it, God. Put it in our hearts. Put it in our minds. Deep, deep, deep in the, in the, in the bottom of our heart, Lord, and let it grow a wonderful harvest. And we give you all the praise. We're looking this week, even today, for conversations about you that are leading others to be born again through the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Come on, praise him. Come on now. Come on. Let's go out and do it. You guys have a great week. God bless you.